Uh, I'm so blessed to be here. This church has been such a huge support to my wife and I and our ministry, and Don and Penny have been amazing friends, and a lot of you uh, I know have been praying for us and supporting us, so I just want to thank you. Um, Kate, who leads with her husband Bryce, is here. Where are you, Kate? She's back there, so if you want to know more about Steiger, there's a table over there, and, you, and Kate knows everything. And uh, she, can, she can, if I've lied, she'll tell you the truth. Um, I also have a couple of my books here. Uh, this one, uh, Rock Priest, explains how our ministry started in Amsterdam. And uh, there's a lot of crazy stories here about how we saw God move in, in really powerful ways in extreme uh, situations and it kind of the, the process that God had us go through uh, to bring us to the point we're at now in our ministry. So I'd encourage you to, to get this book if you'd like. And, uh, and then this is a book that I wrote called Revolutionary, 10 Principles That Will Empower Christian Artists to Change the World. Uh, but it's not just for Christian artists. It's for people that want to be a radical follower of Jesus. And so the principles in here are not things like um, uh, how to be a better guitar player, but if you want to see God move in your, in your music, what if you made a commitment for every day that you spend practicing your guitar, you spent another hour seeking God? Uh, stuff like that. Or what gives you authority on stage is what you do off stage. So these are principles that are not just for Christian artists, but for all of us. And uh, so I encourage you to get one of these books. If you, know, if you can't, you can just give whatever you can afford. Uh, you can steal a book. I don't care. <laughs> and uh, then we, we're having a Steiger training weekend on March uh, 16th, Friday and Saturday, March 16th and 17th. At our, uh, we have a work in Taronga reaching the backpackers that are traveling around this beautiful country, and uh, so it's going to be at the wharf. Uh, so if you would like to, if you feel like stirred and maybe that you should be a part of in some way this ministry, or you want to know more, come to the Steiger training weekend. I'll, I'll be there and some other leaders from our mission, and my wife Jody will be there. So um, uh, we just um, just did a tour. Well, first of all, our, our whole ministry is to reach what we call the global youth culture, uh, especially young adults who are part of this, this new phenomena uh, because of globalization. They're watching the same movies. They're playing the same video games, listening to the same music, be, being destroyed by the same lies. And like it was shown in that video, it's not just in, the, in uh, Europe and the United States. I mean, I've, I was meeting with, uh, actually, I was in Auckland last week, and uh, I was speaking at uh, the church there, with, and Talk was telling me how New Zealand is the most secular, unreached, English-speaking country in the world. And so you know what I'm talking about. It's this, this, whole, this whole group of, of young people who, are, who have lost their contact with God. They think he's dead. Tradition of the past has no relevance to their life. And so our, our mission in Steiger is to go to them and tell them the truth because they want to know Jesus. They just need to see who he really is. And so if you want to know more about that, come to that training weekend. Um, but I, want to, we, I just did a tour with my band, No Longer Music, um, a few weeks ago in, in Brazil. And uh, it'll just give you an idea of the kind of ministry that we do. No Longer Music is just a small part of Steiger, but that's what I'm, I do a lot, so I talk about it because that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but, uh, but this will give you an example of how we go to secular people and present Jesus to them.
Political corruption is tearing through all of Brazil. It's been described as the world's largest political scandal and has led to Brazil's worst recession. 13.5 million Brazilians are unemployed and are fed up. They feel lied to and abused by the government and they want justice. Young people in Brazil are turning to drugs, sex, and social media to find happiness. No Longer Music had the opportunity to play nine shows in three states, Sao Paulo, Paraná, and Rio de Janeiro. And we were able to proclaim the hope of Jesus to thousands of young Brazilians, and countless lives were changed. You said is worth more than all the gold, all the money in the world. Vale muito mais do que todo ouro e todo dinheiro no mundo. You're created by a passionate God who loves you. Você é criado por um Deus que te ama. But the most important thing that He did. Mas a coisa mais importante que Ele fez. Is he took all the pain. Ele tirou toda a dor. All the evil. Toda a maldade. On Himself. Nele mesmo. When He died. Quando ele morreu, he came back to life. Ele voltou à vida. Because of that, e por causa disso, I can be free. Eu posso ser livre. How many people here tonight want this? What I'm talking about tonight? You want this freedom that Jesus gave you? Quantas pessoas nessa noite querem isso que eu estou falando? Can you raise your hand so I can see? When I came here tonight and I realized that the message was about God, I realized I can't escape this. I can't escape this message. I don't want to know. I don't want to think about my old life. I don't want to have that old life anymore. I'm going to dedicate myself only to you. Because you are all that I have.
they have like several million views on their videos uh, on YouTube. And uh, they were radically, they radically came to Jesus on tour with us. And so then he would be on stage telling his fans, you need to listen to these guys because my life has been changed these last few days. And it was amazing what God did, really amazing. And now they're, uh, we're working on getting them to our school in Germany so that they can be really strong in their foundations. And I think they're going to be a bold witness for Jesus to this huge scene that they have there. We actually shot a, a mu music video there. You can see it if you go on our website, uh, No Longer Music website. Uh, we shot it in a favela in Sao Paulo. So a favela is a slum where all the drug leaders are in charge. You have to get their permission to go there just down from where they packaged cocaine. And uh, we, sh we shot a, a, <clears throat> a video there. And it's open doors for us in the favelas to present Jesus. Amazing, amazing things are happening. So check that out. Go on No Longer Music. Uh, like us on, on Facebook and check out that, that video. And uh, anyway, so Lord, help me. Thank you that I can be here. Amen. So uh, we lived in this crazy neighborhood in Amsterdam. That's where we started. That's where I met my wife, Jody, And our two sons were born. And... Uh, we were living in this, in this, this crazy uh, apartment where to get into our building, often drug dealers were in front of the door or they'd be urinating on the door, uh, getting sick on the door. And so it was always a challenge to get into our place because you'd have to like push people out of the way uh, that were doing that. One time I actually dropped my keys in a puddle of <laughs> urine. It was not a nice thing. You know, so I, I, you know, anyway, I don't know why I'm even telling you that. But anyway, so, <laughs> so I'm in my, I'm, I'm, we're in our apartment. I'm looking out the window, and you didn't need a TV there because there was a riot. There was crazy stuff happening. So there's a riot taking place out on the street while, you know, people were, these two gangs were fighting. And so one gang was picking up all these bricks and bottles and they were throwing them at the other gang and screaming and breaking car windshields and they were running down the alley and then the other gang would tear up the, 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 the street again and they would chase them back and forth. And so I'm watching this, you know. And then all of a sudden, this one policeman came and he came driving really fast into this, this uh, uh, bus station across from where we were and the craziest thing happened. He jumped out of his, his car, just this one policeman, and he had this baton, this rubber stick. He jumped out of the, the, his, his car and ran into the angry mob with just him with this rubber stick. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But what was really amazing is they looked at him and they all dropped their bricks and their bottles and they all ran together down the alley while he was chasing them. <laughs> and then he, he, re, he realized what he was doing. And he, he, I think he got afraid and he jumped in his police car and drove away. <clears throat> but for a moment, he believed in who he represented. Right? He believed that the authority of the police was stronger than the authority of these two violent gangs that were fighting each other, so much so that he was willing to drive there by himself, armed with nothing more than a rubber stick, and jump out of his police car and run right into him. Because he believed for a moment 
that the authority of the police was greater than the authority of the mob. And I think as followers of Jesus, if there was ever a time when we needed to believe in who we represent, it's today. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines drew up their troops for battle. Saul and the Israelites came together, camped at Oak Valley. They were at one hill and the Israelites were on another hill. A giant, nearly 10 feet tall, 3 meters. Now, I've been around guys who are like uh, 2 meters tall, you know, like NBA guys. I've, I've met people like that, and you're like, you can't believe it. Can you imagine someone 3 meters tall? I mean, this is like superhuman kind of stuff. So here's this guy, 3 meters he has a bronze helmet uh, that weighs 57 kilos. He has a, he has a spear that was like, uh, they said it was like a fence rail. And the tip of his spear weighed 7 kilos. Just the, the tip of his spear, 7 kilos. So here is this superhuman giant. And then uh, he stands out, he says to the, all the, the Israelites, he goes... Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? Are you committed to Saul or not? So pick your best fighter and put him against me and let us fight. And if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. And if I kill him, then you'll be our slaves. And when Saul and the troops heard this, they were terrified and lost all hope. Well... I think I would be the same, wouldn't you? I mean, you see this guy who's like three meters tall, and he's, I would lose all hope, too. There's good reason to lose hope when you see a giant like that. Because the odds are impossible. There's no way I can go against something like that. And it seems to me that there are giants everywhere today. You know, every, you know I, I travel a lot you know, because of the ministry God has called me to. And it just seems like the brokenness and the, and the challenges, I mean, they are not just normal challenges. They're like this giant. They're three meters high, and they're impossible, and there's no human answer for them. Every corner of the world, I see giants. So I guess if we're going to make a difference today, we're going to have to be a giant fighter. Right? Because that's how big the problems are. If we don't realize that they're that big, it's because we, we're naive. But the truth is they are. So then it, it means if I'm going to make any difference as a Christian, I have to be a giant fighter. And so that's, I'm going to talk about principles of a giant fighter. Um, last year, we were supposed to go on tour uh, to Turkey, but because of a political uh, coup, attempted political coup, and because of the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, the whole country was in a state of emergency. And they gave almost uh, dictatorial uh, rights to the president. So he was like, he could do whatever he wanted. Didn't even need, he could, he can arrest you without, just because he wants to arrest you. So that, so it's a very crazy situation right now in Turkey. And we had been planning a tour there for more than a year with my band, with our big stage, and we were going to come and do this big tour, but because of the political crisis, it was canceled. So the sensible thing to do at that point would be to try to do it 
when things settled down a little bit. I mean, the obstacles were too great and the risks were too big. So back to David. <laughs> David was out watching his father's sheep. Okay, so you have David, this teenage boy, and he's out watching his father's sheep, and his dad says, go and find out how your brothers are doing. So he goes and he, and he, to see how his brothers are doing, and then when he gets there, he sees Goliath, this three-meter-tall fighter, mocking, mocking the troops and mocking God. And so when he saw that, David was moved to the core. And so it says in 1 Samuel 1.26, David was talking to the men standing around saying, what's in it for the man who kills the, that Philistine and gets rid of his ugly blot on Israel's honor? Who does he think he is anyway? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the living God. David saw the giant. He knew how big he was. He knew how strong he was. But he also knew who holds the universe together with his power. And he understood who God was. And he understood that as big as Goliath was, there was nothing compared to the living God. And it reminded me of the first time that we started going to Turkey. We were playing in a city where, because of death threats, the pastor fled. The one church in the city, because of death threats, the pastor fled the city. And we were going to play in an amphitheater under the shadow of this big mosque. And I don't know if you've been to Istanbul but the, and has seen the Blue Mosque, but if you have, this was a mosque that size. It was huge. And we're playing under this amphitheater, and I'm there with my two sons, Aaron and Ben. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen to us? You know, here we are getting ready to, to lift up Jesus in a place where the pastor fled because of death threats. And I'm there, and I was afraid. And uh, I'm walking, and I'm praying with my sons. And so I'm walking, and I felt like God said to me, David, look at that mosque. So I looked, I looked at the mosque. And I felt like, like God said to me, that is just a big, dead, empty tomb. That is just a big, dead, empty tomb. I am alive. Why are you impressed with a big, dead, empty tomb? You see, I am never going to be able to face a giant if I don't really understand who God is. If I don't have a true picture of him, how am I ever going to be able to stand up to the giants that are all around me? 1 Samuel 17, 31. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. So Saul went for him. So the king goes to get David, right? And now this, to me, is really hilarious. Uh, so then David says, says this to the king. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I am ready to go and fight the Philistines. Right? So can you, you got to picture this. Here's this teenage boy, right? The skinny teenage boy. And he's looking at the king and he's going, don't give up hope, king. I will go and fight him. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and so like Saul goes, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. And David said, 
I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb if it turned on me. And if it did, I would grab it by the throat and wring its neck. And it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of the living God. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, he will deliver me from the Philistine. David remembered how God helped him when he was looking after the sheep. And I will never be able to face a giant if I don't remember what God has done for me. I don't know if you're like me, but I can so quickly forget what God has done for me. You know, just recently, we lost a, a major uh, supporter, financial supporter, and so I'm getting all stressed about it. And I'm like, I'm feeling this kind of, I would feel kind of um, anxious, and I was thinking, why is it? And then I thought, oh, yeah, it's because of that. And so I, I was going on a walk. And I felt like God said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? For almost 40 years, I have provided for you. I've looked after you. I've taken care of you better than you could look after yourself. You've never not been able to go anywhere that I've asked you to go. You've always been able to do everything that I've asked you to do. Why don't you remember what I have done for you? You know, and we need to start remembering. We need to write it down. We need to go on walks and say, and recount all the things that God has done. His faithfulness, the prayers that he's answered, the big prayers, the small prayers. Then, when the, the giant comes, we'll be able to face him because we'll, we will remember what God did for us. We need to remember. We need to look at God's everyday mercies on us, his, the physical strength that he gives us. The faith, this will build my faith. Now David, he was angry about how God was being mocked. You know, and I think God wants, you know, when you start to spend time with God, you start to feel, you start to feel his heart. And I know what David, I understand this because I felt this. You know, it's like I go, God, I'm sorry that people don't talk about you like this. It's not right. You know, if you, if you want someone to go, I'll go, Lord, and tell them who you are. It's like God starts to stir, stir you up, and he starts to, to, to give you, you start to feel offended for God, really. And that's how David was. And so then David volunteered to go into the battle. And a lot of people today think they're kind of like waiting, God, what is your will for my life? Well, I think you can volunteer, you know, God has to send you. He has to call you. But I think you can say, God, here am I. Send me. You know, I'm not impressive. I don't have a lot, but I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. You know, like I was on a plane not too long ago, and I was watching this documentary about the Rolling, the Rolling Stones plane in Cuba in like a couple years ago. So I'm watching this documentary about the Rolling Stones plane in Cuba and I'm thinking, you know, thousands of people were there crying because the stones were there. And I'm going, God, I want to go to Cuba. You know, look at the Rolling Stones. Send me to Cuba. And we'll talk, we'll tell people about you. And, and, and like, it was crazy. And I was talking to my sons about it. I think we're going to go to Cuba. And they're going, Dad, we can't go to Cuba. 
we don't have any contacts there. We're doing too much already. <laughs> it's like crazy. I'm going, no, God, I want to go to Cuba. I want to talk about you in Cuba. Well, I was in Havana a few months ago. Where ministry is starting in Cuba, we're looking at doing a national tour there sometime, maybe next year in September. I'm going there meeting with people. We need to volunteer. God has to send us, but we have to volunteer. And then he understood that it wasn't the size of his weapons. It was not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit. Why do we keep approaching things in a human way when it comes to problems? You know what I mean? It's like we come up, we, we look at our five loaves and our two fish, and then we come up with a strategic plan to leverage our five loaves and our two fish so that we can have a strategy to reach our community. This has never been how Jesus has worked. It's never been like that. He never, it's never about our resources. It's never about how strong we are. Oh, God, I'm too weak. I'm too old. I'm too young. It's never been like this. I so dishonor God when I look at myself. I so dishonor God when I look at my strength or my weaknesses, my resources. It must hurt him so much that I keep doing this over and over again. It's never me. It's always him. How can we ever think that we're going to have the resources, the strength to defeat a three-meter-high giant. I'm dreaming if I think I can do that, but a God can do anything. And he can even use a skinny, weak guy like me, armed with a few little stones to defeat him, if I will just know who I represent. So it's the state of emergency in Turkey. And I'm thinking, God, I can't bear not going back to Turkey. I have to go. We have to go back. You know, I was thinking about the beautiful people there. All these people are so hungry for Jesus. And I'm thinking, so this stupid political situation is going to keep us from going there. And we couldn't come in with our big stage or anything. So, but I go, God, we have to go. So I said, again, I said to my, my sons, we're going to go. And they're going, yeah, but we don't have any permission. We have to go. Now, this is crazy. You can't go do shows without permissions in big city squares anywhere in the world, let alone in Turkey when there's a state of emergency. But, you know, I was thinking, God, we have to go. And, and I was reminded of when, when Jesus, when, when the angels appeared to Mary and told her she was going to be the mother of Jesus and she said, that's impossible. And the angel said, with God, nothing is impossible. We need to start believing this again. We've got to get out of this human way of approaching Jesus. We need to start thinking like God wants us to think about who he is. Saul says to David, go and God be with you. <laughs> uh, this reminds me of, when I pastored, I'd been ready to go some crazy situation, and God, the pastor would be saying, I'll be praying for you. I'm like, yeah. Like when we wanted to, we, we did a show for the mongrel mob in Port Rua, and the, the church said, we'll intercede for you. They didn't want to go with us. It was like, here am I, send you. So 
I just said, all right, we're going to use all your equipment. Because I heard that someone else who went in there, they stole all their equipment, the mongrel mob. They said, well, we won't beat you if we keep all your stuff. So I thought, okay. And I just started, I didn't even ask them. I said, we're going to take your stuff. Because they, anyway, that's another sermon, I guess. <laughs> or maybe that's an area of weakness in my own life. I don't know. So then, so Saul starts putting all this stuff on David, right? All his, all his uh uh, armor and he's David's like I can't even walk. He's like I can't walk in this stuff. He, so he said it says he could hardly budge. So David said to Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not using it. And he took it off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of the shepherd's pack. And with his sling in his hand, approached Goliath. So what happened? God had a teenage boy who watched sheep with an unconventional weapon. Why did he use a teenage boy who watched sheep with an unconventional weapon to face this giant? Because he wanted everyone to know why the battle was won. God did it. It wasn't because they had some amazing strategy or equipment or whatever. God did it. God delivered them. God wants the glory for what I do. You know, in that whole summer, I'd been touring with this huge stage with these, these big uh, heavy vehicle trucks with this amazing technical crew playing in front of thousands of people. And now God was saying, I want you to go back to Turkey. I, I said, I'll go. But he said, yeah, but if you go back, you're going to have to do a street show. And I'm thinking, aren't I too old to have to be doing street shows? I mean, is that really, am I at that point where I have to be doing street shows? I mean, I'm too good. It's not a good use of my talents. And, it, and it's true, isn't it? I mean, how many of us are never used by God because we, we are too cool to use the weapons that he gives us to fight with? You know, it's this whole, this whole nonsense, you know, the big lie of excellence. You know, everything has to be done for God in excellence. Well, yeah, I, we try to do as good as we can at whatever it is. But that, what is that? It's more about pride, really. It's not about God. That's, it's, when does God need excellence? You know, yes, let's be as good as we can, but he, usually, he normally doesn't use excellence. He uses humble, unschooled, and ordinary people. I need to, to go no matter what God gives me. So we went to Turkey with our stripped-down street show, no stage, no permission, and a show run on one car battery. Really crazy and unimpressive, to say the least. So the giant, right, he's pacing, he's pacing back and forth, and he sees this teenage boy coming towards him with no battle armor on or nothing, and he's like, what are you doing? Are you just mocking me? He says, is this a joke? Are you, are you mocking me? Come here and I will, I will, you know, I'll kill you. So he's like saying this to, to David and David says, and, and that's, and you know, when you face giants, you will be, you will be ridiculed for sure. I mean, when I, when we decided to go to, to Turkey during a state of, of emergency with no permission, there's a Facebook post that said, now that doesn't sound very sensible to go to Turkey and do illegal street shows when they are, when they are under a state of emergency. When is it sensible to fight a giant? 
I mean, it's never going to be sensible. It always requires faith. It's always beyond us. And there will be the mockers that will say, what are you doing? That's not sensible. You're not, you know, what you're doing isn't, isn't uh, balanced. <laughs> David answered, you come, at, you come at me with sword and spirit. I come at you in the name of the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. Yes. So David ran towards the giant, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead. And the, the, the giant crashed face down in the dirt. So armed with our car battery, our, and our, we went to do our street show. And we went into this one Arab town. We started pulling out our stuff, and uh, <clears throat> we just looked for a main square. We did it right by a police station. And the police go, what are you doing? Well, we're an international band, and we're going to do, do a concert here. Oh, really? Can I have my picture taken with you? So I'm having my picture taken with them, and, and uh, we set up our concert. And then in our concert, we show in a very clear way the death and resurrection of Jesus using you know, modern symbols and all that with our car, car battery backing us up. Breaking all the rules. No, you can't do that in a, in a Muslim town. And then afterwards, I preached, and I told them only Jesus rose from the dead, that he's not another prophet or teacher, but that only Jesus can take, make us give us that relationship with God again that we are meant to have. Only Jesus can break the chains. You're not supposed to be able to do that. State of emergency, Muslim town. And then I said, if you want to know Jesus, raise your hand. You can't do that. It's breaking all the rules. Almost everyone raised their hand. Including. Including one policeman. And he said, hey, can, can I have five DVDs about how you can know Jesus that I can give to my colleagues in the police station? So then this undercover uh, government police guy comes. He starts going, you can't do this. This is against the law. You know, and he's shouting. We're quickly, you know, trying to get our equipment packed. And then another man gets in front of the crowd. We're a Muslim country. And he's trying to get the crowd to attack us, but they wouldn't do it. So then we're getting our stuff packed up. We're getting ready to go. I get a call on my phone. You need to get out of here. The police are looking for you. So we're driving in all these back streets to, to, you know, so the police can't find us. And then we finally get on the motorway to Istanbul. Yes! Yes! In spite of the state of emergency and with no permission... And essentially illegal street shows, more than 4,000 people came to our shows, 16 shows in Turkey. 241 signed up for a Turkish Bible correspondence course. 157 people said, can you send someone to our home so we can talk more about Jesus? We need more followers of Jesus who believe, who have real faith. 
God said to me, never forget why the battle is won. You know, I was doing these big dynamic shows, you know, with our big stage and our big, all our equipment, but he brought me back to the streets to remind me it's him. It's not our great show. It's not our great PA. It's not our great lights. It's him. It's him. Now, David later had an army, didn't he? And he had a sword, and he had all that stuff. But he always knew why the battle was won. Even when he had this great army, when God then gave him this great army, he knew why the battle was won. And he'd always say, God, is the battle mine? We need to seek God more desperately. We need to push ourselves more than we've ever pushed ourselves before. We need to cry out to God. Because we are facing giants, and bigger giants are coming in the future. And we need to have real faith if we're going to face them. And we can't hide in a cave. We live, we, we follow the all-powerful living God, so we need to volunteer. You know, God, I don't know how you can use me, but I want to do something. Send me, let me play a part, whatever it is. I need to remember all that God, that God has done for me and let that build my faith. And then I need to take care of the sheep. I need to be faithful now in what I'm doing, even if it seems small. Because there is no small thing. You know, and if it means reaching my neighbors for Jesus, need to be doing that. If it means, you know, talking to my colleagues at work and being a bold witness for Jesus there, I need to do that. If it means, do, you know, we need to be taking care of the sheep the reason that a lot of us can't look back and have faith because of, of how God helped us with the sheep is because we're not doing anything with the sheep. So when the giant comes, we can't look back at the sheep. And we're wondering why we don't have faith to face, face the giant. Well, we got to take care of the flipping sheep. Sorry for saying flipping. God wants to use me to change the world. God wants to use you to change the world. He isn't asking you to survive. He's not asking you just to get by. He is calling every man and woman here this morning to change the world. But you need to know who you represent. And when you know that, when you know that God is with you, you can trust him. And you can defeat any giant that comes your way. Because this is the truth. And so, if you feel like my faith has been, been too uh, human-based and I, I need this revelation of God again, or maybe you started out this way, but now you've become kind of in this domesticated Christian. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, don't keep being going on like that. It's just it's not, it's not worth it, right? So if you, if you feel challenged by this message, I always think it's good to, to respond. Just come up here and kneel with me and we'll say, Jesus, we, we want to be ready. We want to be able to face the giants. We want to have faith again. We don't want to look at things in a human way, Lord. We want to be like David and realize that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. If you need a fresh revelation of that, come and kneel with me.